<laughs> the dicky dog, the willies, peni, the uh, the the ding dongs. Oh, I wasn't quite ready there, Michelle. I had my hands full. Oh, and she's and belched. I just burped. <laughs> Well, hello, what a welcome, everybody. It's your favourite weekly comedy storytelling podcast, Eavesdropping, with me, Geordie. And me, Michelle. And you, eavesdroppers. That's what you are. You're eavesdroppers, if you didn't know. And I like to say congratulations to you for choosing to be such a thing. It's a good thing to be, if you ask me. I love eavesdropping. Honestly, mm. I walking around, you overhear snippets of other people's conversations and you think, what the actual fuck is the context of that? You really want to know, don't you? Have you heard any interesting conversations recently? Uh, Sounds like you haven't. I was in uh, Ikea the other day <laughs> and I caught the tail end of something where somebody else was eavesdropping. Like... They stood out like a sore thumb, this pair. They were like a young pair of kind of hipstery kind, not even hipster. They had lots of piercings and coloured hair and they were younger. A boy and a girl together holding hands, walking around Ikea. They said, did you hear that lady saying blah, blah, blah? And I just wished I'd heard the whole thing. I would have loved to know what that couple thought of the rest of the demographic, the demographic. of the Ikea crowd. Exactly. And what their conversations are like. Oh, four ninety nine. That's the bargain. Or my son. Oh, there's something for seventy five p. That's the lowest thing I've seen. Well, obviously, I've been corrected and been told it's IKEA for Swedish people. Sure, for three. <laughs> it is a Swedish brand, so I think it is the actual pronunciation. But also, there's a fantastic Australian clip on YouTube of a couple going to IKEA. And trying to pronounce those Swedish names. Because oh. if you don't know what all of those omlats and whatever mean, it, it's impossible. And they have all their consonants together. That sounds like fun. I'll put a link to that on the Patreon. In the restaurant, yes, you do actually overhear quite a lot of things that yep. you don't need to hear. Mm. And you see a lot of body language. The worst are the couples who sit there for three and a half hours. In silence. Not saying a word. It's unfortunate. They've probably planned this night out because it's an experience going to that restaurant, isn't it? What's it called? Should we give it a plug? Brasserie Uno? Should we mention it? Brasserie Uno in Zermatt. Yes. It's a dining experience and it would be awful if you'd saved up all that cash to go. You'd turned up, you couldn't wait. It was on your hit list for ages and you end up having a massive argument in the hotel room before you get there and it kind of impacts on the situation. Or an argument at the table. We had that the other Ooh. night. There was a couple and I actually thought she was going to get up and leave. She had tears. And it's such an intimate setting as well. There's hardly any tables. So it's not like you can hide in that restaurant. <laughs> it's like theatre. It is. Aww. Oh gosh, there was another time when there was a group of three girls. Well, the more of that wine pairing they had, the more the <laughs> arguments happened. One girl <gasps> left. Girls. Mm-hmm. One girl oh. left. Three's a bad number. Three's a bad yeah. number when you go out with friends. Well, we went out as a threesome. I know, but we're good friends. But these ones, I think it was a bit tricky because one got up, stormed out, had a yeah. ciggy outside. The okay. other one was in tears. The other one was comforting. Then joined the other one. It was like two against one, but it kept changing sides. It's a drama triangle. That's what that's called in the uh, counselling world. 
Is it a drama triangle? Mm. Man, yeah. there's always drums. There's always Victim, drums in a room. perpetrator, switching back, yes. yes. That's interesting, Michelle. You know, your picture is on the Google reviews. By the way, my review hit some dizzy heights recently. I wrote a review for the restaurant and I looked at the rest of the reviews and there's a picture of you standing outside going, yeah, what do you want? What? To a poor couple sitting outside. Are you serious? <laughs> do I look like a total bitch? Yeah, you're standing there like that going, what? Ah. No, you're not saying what. Who knows what you're saying, but it looks like you're taking their order. Make it snappy. Come on. I'm in a hurry. What do you want? I'm not I'm not a natural service person, I don't think. I don't really like people. <laughs> oh, dear. You know, I do my best. That's all I can do. I will link up some things on the Patreon. Thanks for noticing. And when, when you were talking about reviews, you were talking about the restaurant review. You were so kind as to do that. Yes. But, you know, we love it if people could go to Apple, give us five stars, review us, help people mm, yes, find please. us because that's the best way to yes. find us. www.eavesdroppingpodcast.com Hello at eavesdroppingpodcast.com Email us a story, share, like, all of that. Follow our social media, like, subscribe, Instagram and Facebook. Yep, you know it's At eavesdropping underscore. You got that right. Eavesdropping. Or write into your local, I don't know, forum or magazine and recommend us as hot new podcasts to listen to. We're not exactly new. We're kind of young. We're toddlers. I'd say we're toddlers in the podcasting world. But you could go in and like recommend us at some somewhere. Or if you write a blog or something, write about us. I love that you say a forum or a magazine because it sounds like we're in the 80s. <laughs> All of those things don't exist anymore. <laughs> <laughs> do a TikTok about us or whatever they call them these days. Michelle, I just want to say something, though, about my day picked up yesterday. We were about to record and we didn't. And then my doorbell went and it was someone I haven't seen for such a long time. I had just been visiting the lavatory and I managed to get my zipper up just in time, although I think my fly might have been undone when I said, wait, opened the door and there he was, my gorgeous postie, Dan. I haven't seen him for ages and I was so excited. Michelle, I actually threw myself at him. Uh-huh, no. <laughs> bit embarrassed. Did you give him a big New Year's hug? <laughs> I did. I was like, Happy New Year. I haven't seen you in ages. We did actually see each other a few days before when I was walking the dog and he beeped and we waved at each other. Mm. But apart from that, it's been months since I've seen him and that's very unusual. And as I threw myself at him... He said, oh, Kev's going to get embarrassed. And I turned around and there was Kev, who's the other postie. Hi, Kev. Oh. I don't know if he's a listener. Sitting there and he pretended to shield his eyes. <gasps> and then I felt embarrassed. I'm over the top. Can't help myself. Fly was down. Fly down, throwing myself at my hot postie. <laughs> he's there laden with gifts for me that I'd bought, clearly. Oh. I yes. paid for them. Yes, okay. It was my post. But what happened to the gift that you must leave your postie? What? Well, because I hadn't seen him, I guess I kind of forgot about it. Soz, guys. You bitch. I know. Because he did say, didn't he, we do always get a nice box of chocolates. It yes. is nice to leave something for us. He didn't say it like that, but. No, to be fair, I forgot with my postie this year and yes. he goes up an awful lot of steps to get to where I, I am. That guy, 
He needs an award. Anyone needs an award. Getting anything up those bloody steps. I was thinking about that the other day, actually, Michelle. Do you get many drop-ins? Absolutely not. I never get a drop. I never get a drop-in. Doesn't happen. But you know what? I've kind of gone off the drop-in. I feel like mm. people don't really do the drop-in anymore, do they? Some, my neighbours and I do. We're friends. Yes, but that's quite a close-knit community where you are. You turn up on the door in crocs and socks and things. <laughs> but it's all the kids as well, you know. You've got yeah. you've got kids and I think people with children are more used to the drop-in and receiving yeah. the drop-in. Yes. I think that's gone by the wayside. I think people text now before, hey, you at home, I'm around the corner. Oh, it's not a good time. Or yeah, sure, I've got a cake in the oven. A bun in the oven. Speaking of drop-ins, yes, we have an inbox where people drop a message in and Ooh. we had one from... Extra drop-in. Extra drop-in. We did have a message from Kiss Apocalypse who recommended yeah. we look at Ed Kemper. We've been there, done that, mate. We have. We've done it. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't in-depth, but it was part of another episode. Which we can't remember, can we? Can you remember? No, I can't. It was one of the serial killer episodes. Yeah. Spoiler alert for anyone who doesn't know who Ed Kemper is. Serial killer. Yeah. I will link that up on the show notes, which if you're a Patreon member, you can go down the rabbit hole of crazy links. Because he is fascinating, actually. He, spoiler again, killed his mother and other people, a lot of other people as well. He was dubbed the co-ed killer. Actually killed his grandmother, I think, to begin with. And his grand Didn't he kill his grandmother when he was younger? Don't you remember? I told you the entire story. And I think it was linked up to a Manson episode. I'm not sure. Everything comes back to mm, Manson. Really, it does. it does. It's like seven degrees of Manson. But speaking of recommendations and our eavesdroppers writing in, we've had the lovely Safka, who first of all wanted to say a little thank you for covering a story that she had requested. Here's what she has to say. Darling Michelle and Geordie, thank you so much for doing the Ghost Train Luna Park fire episode. It was so devastating. I just oh, I was crying through it. It's just so awful. But you did such a beautiful job and such a wonderful um, story on it. And you gave it all the respect that it deserved. Thank you so much. Funny you were talking about goths. And yes, Timmy, my partner and I are both old goths. And um, it was cool growing up with that in Canberra back in the day. We also had all the makeup and the clothes and all that stuff and still do. Thanks again and um, lots of love from two old Canberra goths. Thank you, Safka. We love it when you write in and record your voice and send it in. Thank you, Safka, you lovely old goth. She's also sent us some television recommendations. Now, Safka was one of the poor people like myself and listener Karen who watched Saltburn. Some people love that film, by the way, Michelle. I think that it's like Marmite. I know your mother, Jen, she loved it, despite all the dick swinging and weird sexual things that happened in the film. Well, Jen's not been in touch about oh, all the, the dickies. All the dicks. The dicky dido. <laughs> the dicky dido. The willies, peen eye. Oh, the, God, uh, Michelle, the, where did this come the from? The ding-dongs. I'm just trying to find all different words for... A rundown of a, an appropriate word for a penis. No, she's not been in touch, so I don't know if she's slightly traumatised. Oh. Well, so Safka, like me, she wasn't really quite sure what to make of it. 
I think on reflection, I didn't like it. It was pretty to look at. It was interesting enough to keep me captivated till the end because I wanted to know what happened. But afterwards, I felt a little bit empty and a little bit unsettled is all I'll say about that. Other people bloody love it. It's Marmite. My sister loved it, said it was fantastic. She thought it was just a goofy film. Fuck though. Jesus. Jacob Alordi, who is the hot guy in it. Yes. But creepy in Euphoria. He's an Aussie. Did you know that? Is he Aussie? He's Aussie. Safka also sent in a few television recommendations. She's very good for the telly recs, Michelle. I love it. Reveal, reveal. So she's currently watching the second series of The Tourist, which stars Jamie Dornan, who's really gorgeous. And that was originally a show. It was set in Australia. Had your favourite big guy from Iceland as the bad guy. It was really fun, actually hot guy okay for you maybe that show has just had a second season but it's set in northern ireland with the australian actress who was the policewoman in the show the first time around i haven't watched it yet safka but i'm going to i loved it the first time and it's by the same brothers whose names i can't remember who did the boat story recently and something else i can't remember they've done quite a lot of really good television you'll have to google it i'm sorry Next recommendation is Society of the Snow, which sounds amazing, right? It's about the Andes plane crash in 1972 where the football team crash landed. And they all ate each other. They didn't all eat each other. Most of them ate each other. They did eat some people. That film Alive was based on it as well. That could be interesting. (laughs) Why do you have to say that? So that's my recommendation. Well, that's Safka's recommendations for the week. Anyone got any more? I am watching What We Do in the Shadows. I bloody love it. Natasha Dimitriou, fantastic. Matt Berry, wicked. And the gorgeous Kay Van Novak. Oh, my God, he's so gorgeous as Nandor the Relentless. You don't watch it. You don't like it. I tried. I tried. It wasn't really my cup of tea. And I don't know why, because I love Matt Berry. Again, kind of sexy to me. Sexy. (laughs) I would maybe consider Matt Berry. He wouldn't consider me, man. <laughs> yeah, he may not consider you, Michelle. No, but I have eclectic tastes. What can I say? I like a big boy. I like a skinny boy. Oh. Mm. So there you have it. That's the week that was in Rex and whatnots. I think it might be time for some true crime. True crime. I know on this podcast, we don't really talk about crimes involving children, but today I've got a case that does involve the murder of two teenagers in America. But I will preface it all by saying for many years, details of the girl's murder were not released at the time, but some disturbing details were revealed in the middle of last year about this case. Oh, God. I'm not going to go into detail about what happened to them because it's not nice. And also, the thing that has captured the nation's attention, and I will say the nation as in USA, um, about this case, 
is more about the various suspects and the evidence that was presented. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So with all that in mind, uh, we're going to go back nearly seven years ago to February 13, 2017, when best friends, Libby German, uh, who was 14 at the time, and Abby Williams, who was 13, decided to go for a hike in the woods near Monon High Bridge in rural Delphi, Indiana. Okay. You yes. know this case? This is ringing a bell. They went for this hike and uh, they had to go across this rickety wooden bridge that's more than 100 years old. It has been defunct for decades. In 2017, it was kind of treacherous. It's set above a high, fast-flowing oh, uh, creek called Deer Creek. Would you even cross that, Michelle? No, because it has wooden slats because it's a rail no. bridge. And so yes, the slats not are not really close together. They're kind yeah. of far apart. And they're uneven. They're kind of broken. It's super dangerous. But it was also kind of a rite of passage with teenagers in Delphi. Or Delphi. Oh. It's Delphi, sorry. Is it Delphi? It is Delphi. That's how they say it in America. That's my best valley girl voice. Excuse me if you're American. That was <laughs> atrocious. Look, going across this bridge at that age, it, it's not a strange thing to do. So on that day, uh, Libby's older sister, Kelsey, dropped the pair off near the bridge at around 1.35 in the afternoon and told them that Libby's dad would pick them up at around quarter past three. Now, at 2.07, Libby posted a picture of Abby walking on the bridge and she posted that on Snapchat. But at 3.15, when Libby's dad went to pick them up, he waited around thinking that maybe they got lost or maybe they were late or whatever. And he called their phones. He called Abby's family, who also went to the hiking trail to look for the girls. At 5.30, after no response to any of their calls and they hadn't found them, uh, both sets of parents went to the local police station to report the girls missing. Oh, God. The police were on it really quickly. You know, they set up a search for the girls. Yeah. 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 And they enlisted, like, a lot of help from the locals. You know, everyone was behind this to kind of, like, scan the area. Because at this stage, they didn't think foul play was a possibility. You know, they just thought the girls maybe fell into the creek. Maybe they got lost. You know, they were hoping for the best. Now, parents out there who were maybe thinking, you know, why the hell would you let your 13 and 14-year-olds out on a hike on their own in the woods? You know, yes, they're young, but they're not that young. It was the middle of the day. It's a pretty safe area. And for America, it's as safe as it gets. You know, but you can look up Delphi. And if you look at the murder rates over the last maybe 20 years, every year it's zero, zero, zero. Yeah. It's a, a town of, I think at that stage, under 3,000 people. It's tiny. Everyone knows everyone. I think at this stage, no one thought anything sinister was going on. And like I said, maybe they're injured, maybe they got lost. But in February, it does get dark early. And the police did call off the search a few hours later because it was too dark to continue. 
But they were all back at it the next morning with virtually the whole town out searching for these girls. And, trigger, around noon, the uncle of one of the girls who discovered their bodies about a kilometre from the bridge. So, as I mentioned at the top of this case, I'm not going to go into details, but when it comes to this case, a day later, on February 15, 2017, Indiana police released a grainy photo of a heavyset man walking on the bridge wearing a dark blue jacket and light blue baggy jeans. And they believe this is the killer. That's very chilling. And the reason they know this is because this picture was taken from a piece of video that Libby tried to post to Snapchat. Yeah. I say tried to post because it never made it onto Snapchat. And I've read all different reports on this. Some people say Libby tried to post the video to Snapchat, but it went into drafts and was found that way. Mm-hmm. Other people say it was recorded on her phone and not on Snapchat at all. But either way, I guess it can be assumed here that Libby probably began recording because she had a bad feeling about that guy on the bridge. They felt threatened, yeah. The other thing I think we can assume is that she probably hid the fact that she was recording this guy by putting her phone somewhere where it didn't look obvious that she was recording him. Because if the phone was in her hand, I'd say the killer would have taken it and destroyed it. Clearly, he had no idea he'd been caught on camera. I also read that Libby's dad, as I said, had tried to call her before the pickup time to say, oh, I'm on my way. And then obviously afterwards when they weren't there at the pickup point, And apparently those calls rang first and then went to voicemail, Mm. which means, you know, the phone still had battery, it was switched on, um, but a few hours later they went straight to voicemail. So maybe, you know, the phone had run out of juice. If Libby had begun recording and then put her phone somewhere out of sight, it's doubtful she would have pulled it back out to stop recording, especially Mm. if she had started recording right before they encountered the dude. And also, because we don't know if the video was taken on Snapchat or the camera app, if it was taken on Snapchat, the video would have automatically stopped recording after 60 seconds. Apparently, that's their policy. Right. And if she'd been using like the app on her phone for the camera, the video could have kept recording until either her phone died or it was interrupted by a phone call. So there could be a lot of video that, that has never been released or at least oh audio gosh. That could help the police with this case. I also read that Libby's phone was found under her body. So I'm guessing the killer didn't realize she had a phone and didn't destroy it, which I think is unlikely. Because, I mean, look, if you're murdering someone, you don't leave their phone hanging around. No. Or if you leave it there, it's maybe because you're not thinking straight or... Maybe the killer did find the phone and tried to destroy it and thought he'd done a good job of destroying it. Mm. Uh, But then maybe the police were able to get data off it when they found it. I just don't know. But what we do know is that along with a picture, a very grainy picture of this guy that was initially released, but not widely released. And when I say released, I don't know if it was actually to the public, I think maybe I said it was to the public, but I'm not sure about that. But what has been released to the public subsequently is video and audio from her phone. Gosh, I don't know if I'd like to hear that. 
Well, it's about two seconds and you see that bridge guy in the blue jacket and the blue jeans with a hat on. He says, guys, down the hill. Oh, God. It's really actually quite disturbing when you hear it. Like I said, my thoughts are there's a lot more information and conversation that was recorded on that video. But I also think the police probably only released those few words because the police are not going to release anything that has the girls screaming or saying horrible things to them. So I think the point of releasing just guys down the hill is to see if anyone recognizes that guy's voice. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But there were a few people who were on the police's radar at the time, starting with a 27-year-old guy who had a fake social media account that he'd been using to groom underage girls. Oh. Fucking creep. And apparently one of the girls he'd been chatting to online was either Libby or Abby. They haven't revealed which one. Oh. The girls were somehow connected to this grooming dude. Mm-hmm. It did mean that the police put eyes on this guy and they searched his house on suspicion of child porn. All this happened two weeks after the girls were murdered in 2017. The fake profile that the Indiana State Police uncovered was called Anthony underscore shots, which he actively used from 2016 to 2017 on Snapchat and Instagram. So that aligns with the timing of the girls. And this Anthony Schott's profile used pics of this male model who looks like he's in his late teens. You know, he is like all American, good looking, you know, he's buff, he's got tats, big cheesy smile, gel in his hair. Uh, Looks like a Disney kind of heartthrob. And I think young girls who maybe don't know so much about catfishing I think they probably thought they were talking to a hot guy, Anthony Schatz. A bit like I thought I was being chatted up by Stuart Copeland recently. What did he, what did he say? <laughs> I am very encouraged by you. <laughs> oh, well, no one was encouraged by this guy whose real name was Keegan Anthony Klein. And he just nicked this guy's pics, put up this fake account. And Keegan was actually an overweight 27-year-old dude who did live near Delphi. Now, according to an affidavit, Keegan said he pretended to be the hot model so he could groom underage girls. He was pretty upfront about it. Sure. And get them to send him nudes. And he also admitted that he would try to get these girls to meet up with him. Right. And I did read that he had about 100 nudes from girls he'd groomed and about 20 quite sexually explicit videos from underage girls when the police caught up with him dude was going down although he he denied any knowledge or involvement in the deaths of abby and libby i will also be clear in saying that hot model had no idea his identity had been stolen and has 100 percent no connection to this case So Keegan was arrested on charges of owning child sexual abuse images and also child exploitation in 2020 and was charged with 30 felonies in 2020. Five of these charges were dropped, but he did plead guilty to 25 Mm -hmm. counts and was sentenced to 40 years in prison. And Geordie, do you have any idea about what I'm going to say next? No. 
That guy can go suck a dick in prison. Oh, that. I'd forgotten about your uh, (laughs) passing down of judgment upon all the prisoners and what they have to do once they're inside. So that's what happened to Keegan. Now, Libby's grandmother, Becky Patty, which is a great name, she told the Independent in December 21 that no one in the family thought that these girls were going to meet up with anyone that day on the trail. Right. But why would they tell anyone? Exactly. Teenagers don't tell their parents no. anything. And if they thought they were going to meet up with hot guy, hot model, who was older than them that day. There is no way they'd be allowed to do that. And they needed to know. Yes. But they're also not going to tell their parents. I think Becky Patty, sorry, you were never going to be told they were meeting up with that hot guy no. if that was what was happening. But there was another guy called Ron Logan who the police were treating as a suspect, mainly because Uh he, A, first of all, owned the land where Libby and Abby's bodies were found and his house was not far away from the crime scene. Also, this guy was known to the police because he had various statements and charges against him for violent behaviour towards women. He also owned guns and knives, so he wasn't squeaky clean. Also, he lied about where he was at the time that Libby and Abby disappeared. He told investigators that a mate picked him up around 2 o'clock on the 13th of February and drove him to an aquarium store and that he then went fishing and got home Mm. around 5 o'clock. Hang on. Fishing in an aquarium store? Went to an aquarium and then went fishing. Oh, okay. I thought this is something that you can do. Well, go fishing in an aquarium. Yeah. It's like not very difficult, is it? Captive audience. No, he he then went fishing. This mate backed it up to the police, said, yep, he was with me. I dropped him off. But two days later, the friend did confess to police that Ron Logan had made up the story and asked him to lie about it. Right. What's more, Ron's mobile phone location data put him basically at the trail of the time Abby and Libby disappeared. Oh. I also read that he had been seen dropping something off at the local tip, the dump, that day in the afternoon. So he was definitely on police radar. Although he was never charged with anything to do with the case. And, in fact, he died in 2020. Guy's kind of out of the picture. That doesn't mean he's not guilty, though, just because he died. No, but there's a third guy who was a suspect, and his name was Richard Allen. So investigators first interviewed Richard, I think, the day after the murders in 2017. And he said, yeah. I walked the trail around the same time that the girls were there. And I think that can be established by, he said he was on the trail around 2, 2.30. And I guess there's a timestamp on that bridge video. Okay. Richard said he actually saw three girls during his walk, but didn't speak to any of them. And I read that during the course of the interview, one of the investigators asked him, hey, do you remember what you had on that day? And he said, yeah, yeah dark blue jacket and light blue jeans Mm. the exact combination of the bridge guy gel bumps he just sounds a bit too casual though in the way that he's just answering all these questions wouldn't you be more evasive if you were actually guilty well the thing is i think if you were the murderer and the police hold you in the only way you're going to admit you basically had the same outfit on as the killer is if you did not know at that point the girls had filmed you right okay It also reminds me a little bit of where you started this episode today, Michelle. Ed Kemper, Mm. 
who got away with his crimes for a very long time, also picked up hitchhikers, young women. Not that they were hitchhiking, they were hiking. And he actually used to hang out with police in bars and practically told them what he was doing. Yeah. But no one believed him. No. It's almost like in plain sight. Yeah. Sometimes when you're directly under the nose of the police, they can overlook you. But what I'm trying to say is sometimes they want to be caught. Mm. There's this sort of sense of grandeur, kind of illusion of grandeur that they want to be known. Yes. Well, I'm not sure about that with this guy, but I will say by October 2022, five years later, investigators took another look at this guy and spoke to him again. Uh huh. So they had no one at this point. No. This was a cold case, cold case for five years. And when they re-interviewed him, he said, yeah, again, I was walking on the the Delphi trails the day of the murders. He said he'd gone out there to watch the fish. People around Delphi shall love their fishing. What's with all the... I don't know. Yeah. And that's not all. Police interviewed Richard's wife, Kathy, who said, yeah, he still has this blue jacket. Also, she Mm -hmm. said, he's got guns, he's got knives. Going back to Richard, he told investigators he owned a Sig Sauer, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, Sig Sauer pistol, and that he never let Mm -hmm. anyone borrow it, ever. It was his, like, favourite gun. Thing is, at the murder scene, an unspent bullet was found next to the girls' bodies. And, turns out... The state police lab did forensics on Richard's pistol and found that the unspent bullet had been cycled through Richard's gun. What? Yeah. So I looked a little bit into this and apparently it can be a misfire. So you try and shoot, but it doesn't, the gun doesn't work and the bullet pops out. It's a misfire. So that places him there. Pretty much. You'd think that would literally be the smoking gun evidence here in this case. But Richard says... He doesn't know why his unspent bullet was found by the girls' bodies and denied knowing Mm. anything about what happened to them. But there were quite a few people who came forward and said they saw a man near the trail who matched Richard's description and who looked like the guy in the bridge. And I have to say, there is an identikit picture of the guy. There's also his photo. I've seen pictures of what Richard Allen looks like and bridge guy, man, to me identical not identical but i'm like no that's him there's enough of a similarity because the the video is really grainy it's blurry i think they must have zoomed in you know and then you lose definition but i think it's this guy but who am i who am i to say allegedly okay allegedly allegedly i've been thinking about that video a little bit like i said that short clip guys down the hill so there were a few people who said they saw a man near the bridge who looked like richard yeah And who looked like the bridge guy. And there was a girl who spoke to police and said she'd seen, this is her words, a kind of creepy guy on the trail in a blue jacket and jeans. Another girl said she said hi to him, but he just glared at her as he passed her. And if this is true, then he actually saw four girls that day. But I don't know. But then around two hours after Libby recorded the bridge guy on her phone, a hiker told police that she saw Richard or someone who looked like Richard covered in blood walking away from the railroad bridge at 4 p.m and he was wearing blue jacket light blue jeans and was muddy and bloody and looked like he'd gotten into a fight wow thinking about that video thinking about what the girls said where that girl said hi and just he walked past her and glared 
Yeah. Well, I was thinking about Abby and Libby. And what if they weren't scared of this guy to begin with? That's the thing. Why them? Why a pair of girls, not an individual girl on her own? Yeah. This isn't a by chance situation if four people saw the same person on the same day. I think it is a case of wrong place, wrong time. Because if you look at the bridge and where they were when Libby took the video, I've read that apparently they would have had an escape route if they felt freaked out or scared. So my thoughts are, what if these two girls who were just nice, polite girls who were waiting for this guy on the bridge to cross the bridge so they could cross over back to the other side to get back to their rendezvous point to meet their dad, which would mean they were waiting for him Mm. to pass them. They weren't getting any creepy vibes. Probably he hasn't come towards them with a gun or a knife or whatever. They wouldn't have had an instinct to run because they're just waiting on one end of the bridge, which has all of these gaps and everything, too rickety, too rickety for two people to cross on at the same time. So they're waiting him to come one way so they can pass the other way. But why would they filmed him, Michelle? I don't know. Maybe they got a creep vibe towards the end. But the thing is, if they decided to run, he couldn't have run after them because if you are on that bridge, you can't run. I feel like those girls could have run away if they'd got creep vibes in time. Maybe they didn't. And the other thing we don't know about this video is, was she filming her friend and he's in the background? I really don't know. It's just a thought. Okay. Either way, a whole bunch of documents that had previously been sealed were made public on November 22 last year 2023 and that's where a lot of actual detail of the case comes from and then because they were released in September November court documents were filed by uh, attorneys for Richard which said the girls were killed as part of a ritualistic sacrifice what by members of a white nationalist cult called Odinism which is a pagan Norse religion yes Look, the reason this was even taken slightly seriously is because apparently, and this is weird, Libby's and Abby's bodies had been arranged with tree branches and sticks across them in the shape of pagan symbols. And these documents state that they resembled possible Odinism signatures left behind at the crime scene. Richard says he has no connection to any cult, but these new documents name four people who are Odinites as potential suspects in the girl's murder. But to me, it seems like a classic tactic of, don't look here, look there. Don't blame Richard. Blame these three other cult people. And then another thing is, remember I mentioned the Identikit. Back in 2017, they put one together, which was a sketch of the killer. When you look at Bridge Guy and Richard Allen, it's hard not to think it's the same guy. But years later, weirdly, the police revealed a second sketch Of a guy who looks like he's in his 20s with curly hair and Richard Allen's in his late 40s. The new sketch is skinny. The first sketch is chubby. I don't know what the police were playing at or if it was just a deflection tactic to get Richard to think they weren't looking at him. Possibly. Either way, there's more shit against him because apparently while in jail, because he's been charged, Richard has been charged with with these murders. Yes. Okay. So he's currently in jail. And while in jail, he apparently confessed on a phone call to his wife, Kathy. Yeah. He did murder Libby and Abby. Oh. 
Kathy hung up the phone and apparently <gasps> he said it over the course of several conversations and he said it to his mum as well. Oh, my God. Now, his defence attorneys are arguing that these confessions cannot be taken seriously because they say he's got declining mental health in prison. And, of course, there's loads of torts and theories about what's going on. Maybe one of them is that the killer is in cahoots with Richard and Ron Logan and that maybe there were other people involved I get the feeling that there was. I don't know why. It just made me feel like this at the beginning of the story. I just felt like it was. And I will also tell you that despite having eyes on this guy, Richard, in 2017, the police overlooked him for more than five years due to a clerical error. And I don't know more about that other than people are outraged. But what I do know is that he was supposed to go on trial on the 24th of January this year, 2024, but it's been pushed back to 15th of October because his attorneys have quit the case because someone on his defense team released graphic images of the crime scene. Oh my goodness. Fuckers. There you have it. It's an in-progress case and I'm going to keep an eye on it. That's insane, Michelle, and tragic and chilling. I'm really sorry. That's really put the willies up me. I tell you what, I don't like that. No, it's horrible. The whole thing, it's really distressing. But thank you for your in-depth analysis and recounting of the story and your sensitive handling of it because I don't think I could have coped if there was any more detail, to be fair. So thanks, Michelle. No. Why are you crying? Drop it. On my side of things, I've also got a very interesting case of circumstance, missed opportunities and mishaps. So what I'm going to tell you about today, Michelle, is something akin to all of those things. Someone was literally watching over Alan Lee Phillips on the night of January 6th, 1982. Alan was from a place called Breckenridge in Colorado, which is a ski resort town. And he'd gotten himself into trouble during a snowstorm on top of Guanella Pass when he became stranded in his truck. Now, he's a miner and a mechanic, and he used his headlights to flash out an SOS code in the hope that someone would see him and rescue him, right? Smart. Amazingly enough, there was a a United Airlines passenger plane flying overhead at the time. An eagle-eyed passenger, who's also a sheriff of Jefferson County in Colorado, Harold Bray, saw it and he realised someone down there needed help. So he immediately asked to speak to the captain, who then alerted Clear Creek County Sheriff's Office and they launched a search mission for this poor fella down below. Rescuers then headed up the 10,000-foot peak of Guinella Pass, just east of Breckenridge, Colorado, And they found Alan Lee Phillips, who was 30 at the time and lucky to be alive because the temperature was minus 30. He told rescuers his truck had gotten stuck in the snowdrift on his way home from a bar and he'd made some very poor decisions after a night of drinking. Oh, dear. Booze. Drink driving. It's not a good combo in a snowstorm. Drink driving. Made some poor choices. Exactly. His face was covered in scratches and bruises, which he said had happened when he slipped and struck his head. But other than that, he was one lucky duck. Also that night, it was a very active night for things going on. There were two women who went missing. Annette Schnee, who was 21, and Barbara or Bobby Joe Oberholzer, who's 29, were both reported missing after failing to come home that night. 
Sadly, Bobby Joe's body was discovered the next day at the peak of Hoosier oh. Pass, which is about 10 miles south of Breckenridge. She had been shot at close range by a revolver. One bullet grazed her arm and the other had hit her in the chest. And the only other clue at the scene was a single orange sock that didn't match either of the ones she was wearing. I honestly thought you were going to say they found her and she'd frozen to death in the snowstorm. I did not expect It's a very unusual story, this one. Annette Schnee's body was tragically found about six months later and 13 miles away. She had also been shot by a revolver and investigators linked the two murders, especially because one of Schnee's socks matched the stray sock found at the other crime scene. (gasps) Sloppy work by the killer. Also, both women had been hitchhiking that night separately. Oberholzer was trying to get home while Schnee was trying to get to work. And this was back in the days when hitching was a legitimate way in getting from A to B and not considered dangerous. But also in a ski resort where you probably have a little bit like Delphi. You feel safe. Maybe two, three thousand people at most and you know everyone or it's one degree of separation. So, Well, the police immediately honed in on Bobby Joe's husband, Jeff Oberholzer. He told investigators that Bobby had called him at 6.20pm to say she was having drinks with friends from work and was heading home shortly. So he made dinner for them. And when she didn't return, he fell asleep, waking at about midnight in a panic when he realised that she still hadn't returned. So he called her co-workers and then he went out searching in all the bars. And when he didn't find her, he reported her missing to the police. And they told him they couldn't do anything because she's a grown woman. For 24 hours, they wanted to wait and see if she'd come back. that's the most crucial. Yeah, that was the window in which her body was then found. So Jeff, number one suspect, then passed two polygraph tests, but that didn't deter investigators who were convinced he was the culprit. Suspicions had been raised when he was the one that found her belongings along Route 285 before her body was found 20 miles in the opposite direction. To them, it just seemed too fishy. But if you're a concerned husband, I would get in my car and start looking for my wife. And if I saw her handbag or whatever on the side of the road, I'd be like, fuck. Yes, and you wouldn't stop to think, oh, this is going to implicate me. No. There was also a friend who provided Jeff with an alibi and Jeff told police they were together at the house all evening, but investigators couldn't track this guy down. Years later, though, he did pop up and his version of the alibi did match Jeff's. Also, something investigators discovered at the Annette Schnee crime scene really put the wind up them. They found Jeff's business card in Annette's wallet. Mm. Oh, no. And well, at first, Jeff said he didn't know her and they'd never met. Later, he realized that he had picked her up hitchhiking a year earlier and had given her his card as an appliance repairman when he dropped her off, never to see her again. Fair play, because I've got a ton of crap business cards in my bag of doom. Six weeks after these hitchhiker murders, though, another hitchhiking woman was murdered in the Breckenridge area. Her name's Mary Brown. She was also just 21. But police were sure that they'd got their guy in her murder, a man called Tom Luther, who's age 25. And he was sentenced to nine years for her murder. That doesn't seem like enough. And while serving his time, he told other inmates that he'd also killed the two other women in the Breckenridge area. This got back to the police and he denied it when he was questioned. And then he was released from prison in 1993. And what do you think he did? Well, he went off on a long killing spree, Michelle. And eventually he was captured and he's currently serving time in a 48-year sentence. 
but this still left the murders of Bobby Lee and Annette unsolved. Some of the evidence at the original scenes had included bloody tissues near Bobby Lee's backpack, but DNA technology at that point wasn't advanced enough to be of any assistance. But over the years, both Luther and Jeff Oberholtz were eventually cleared once a DNA index system was established in 1998. So DNA had excluded both Mark Luther and Bobby Joe's husband, who were the prime suspects in their murder. Yep. No one gave up on these girls, though. Investigators began running the DNA sample through the system once a week in the hope that a match might happen. And the Oberholzer family had employed a private investigator who worked on the case since 1989, charging them $1 a year out of the goodness of his heart. Oh, bless. 20 years they did this and no joy, Michelle. Shit. But then, with the genetic genealogy becoming used for cold case solving, think... Golden Gate Killer, etc. We've mentioned that before on this podcast, which is where DNA is being used to trace family connections. A name finally popped up. And when the name of the suspected killer was revealed, shock all round, Michelle. <gasps> on February the 24th, 2021, Alan Lee Phillips was revealed to be the perpetrator. That's right. The man who was stranded in below freezing weather, who flashed out an SOS in his car lights only by a slim chance to be noticed by an airline passenger that saved his life that night 40 years before was finally arrested on the 24th of February, 21, for kidnapping and murdering both Bobby Joe Oberholzer and Annette Schnee. Oh, my God. So he got away with it for 40 fucking years. The police had never even suspected him previously, despite his injuries and proximity to the murder scenes that night. Right. Well, they just thought... He was a, a good luck tale, you know, bit drunk. They were thrilled. Got they, saved by... Yeah. It's a story, wow. For sure. And basically, he was free to live out his life without any retribution, mm. quite literally gotten away with murder. He got married. He had three kids. <gasps> and at this point, when he was arrested, age 70, he was retired from his mechanic job. Oh, my God. Can you imagine you married a murderer and you didn't even know? I know. Oh, that's just sickening what a sickening thought so he never spoke at his sentencing but his daughter did andrea shelton said that her father had taught her and her siblings honesty and ethics when they were growing up and she said he's a good man and i thought someone should say something but no one else spoke on behalf of phillips he eventually got a life sentence without the possibility of parole for each of the two women, ordering them to be technically served one after the other rather than at the same time to allow the maximum penalty under the law. I wish they'd done that for Mark Luther because he had murdered that one lady and then went on a killing Mm. spree when they released him after nine years for murdering, for taking a life. I don't get it. It's not enough. I mean, this guy got 40 years for child sexual exploitation pictures. Where is the consistency? I don't understand. There's none. Ultimately, in March 2023, age 73, Phillips died while serving his sentence, and some would say justice was finally done. However, for the families of Annette Schnee and Bobby Joe Oberholzer, not so much. In particular, Jeff Oberholzer, who, along with Bobby Joe, they had a child, said the four decade wait was a hideous nightmare, especially as he was prime suspect for all this time. Of course it was. That guy did three years in jail. That's it. Exactly. Three years. He had a whole lifetime of, as you said, getting away with murder, married, children, 
lying to everyone. I mean, it's absolutely awful. And the fact that he was saved by Mm -hmm. a chance SOS flash that somebody who even realized it was SOS from the plane. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And who was looking after him? Who was looking over him? You know, what what was in place to allow this to happen? Not just that, Michelle, I couldn't find much more info about this case, apart from it's well documented. I got that from an aviator magazine, this story. But I know that other podcasts have covered it. What I want to know is, was that the only time he murdered? Why did he do it? Two deaths in one night. Why? Look, I wonder if... He was drunk? Yeah. I wonder if he was drunk. Maybe he was, at that point in his life, someone who was on the edge. Maybe he had a psychotic break. Maybe there was something else going on psychologically. Because by all accounts, he had a very normal life afterwards. I mean, we don't know if he killed again. No. Or before. Or before, actually. Yes, good point. You know, he didn't have any suspicious situations which could have linked him to the possibility of killing those girls I don't know if there was a mental health condition that night he had a free feeling because he was drunk maybe he thought I'm going to die tonight I'm just going to kill as well I've always wanted to who knows what goes through somebody's head it's astonishing really I'm quite unsatisfied by the end of your story and this story just because I want to know more about you know what was the motivation what was the motive? Well, I believe this story of the Delphi killer is going to run and run because the case is going to trial in October this year. I think there's going to be a lot more revealed about this guy, Richard Allen. And I'll certainly keep everyone updated because I think more about the motivations and whether or not it was done by one person or, or many. more. Yeah. It's going to come out. Hopefully we will get some kind of resolution for this. Well, sometimes justice is done, other times it's just a fucking mystery and that's the end of it. Yeah, it is. Absolutely riveting, but fuck, man, there's no rhyme or reason as to why these things happen and why some killers get life and others get nine years. No, exactly. What are we going to do now, Michelle, to shake that off? Have a cold shower? You'll freeze to death. It's almost minus 30 here. Minus what? Is it minus 30? No, it probably is on the mountain. It's no low visibility and uh, everyone probably getting frostbite here, there and everywhere. Ooh, that can't be pleasant. Have you had frostbite before? No, but Andreas did on his nose. Oh. Yeah, you need to be very careful. What can happen? Can you lose the tip? (laughs) Yes, just the tip. (laughs) The skin goes white and it effectively is sort of dead. dead and it gets sunburned more easily that piece and also you know if he goes out in this weather he has to have something over his face to protect him from direct exposure to cold temperatures because he could actually lose the whole thing he could lose his nose oh my gosh (laughs) please be careful rack up the heat michelle got electric socks for christmas I did. I got electric socks for Christmas because I get cold toots. Controlled, though, by an app that her fiancé is controlling. So if she pisses him off, he can just whack that heat up or down as he likes. He does have control of my toe sock app. So (laughs) Good for you, definitely. I don't think I could handle that. I've got lots of hot water bottles, though, to keep me warm. And, of course, you've got the love 
from our podcast community. I do. My heart is bursting with warmth. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. We do love it. And there's been a few recommendations for future stories as well, which we are going to be researching. So thank you. Keep them coming. And finally, I think there's the three things that we always say when we come to the end of an episode. And that is... Wherever you are. Whatever you do. Just just keep keep eavesdropping. Eavesdropping. Eavesdropping, dropping, eavesdropping, dropping, eavesdropping, dropping, 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 drop